0: Man. Hallelujah. Did uh Larry and Ju make it? Are they here? Alright. Uh, I expect to see them at it though. Alright. Maybe I preached after we got married. I got married on a Saturday. I preached the next day. Alright, they can at least show up. And, uh, but last night, um yesterday Larry, our sister Larry and Ju, their leader I mean our our Sister Jew and Larry Brother Larry, uh, they're both leaders at our church. Uh, they got married uh, yesterday, and uh, it was just a joyous occasion for the whole church. And uh, also, we had a, a after party. Uh, one of our core values at our church is that is freedom is for everyone. And so, uh, yeah, our church was uh, just dancing the night away in freedom. Uh, we had a wonderful time. The VA girls were... On the dance floor, and they never got off the dance floor. Man. So yeah, I, 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 when we go out and do missions and stuff, I'm, if I ever go on missions with y'all, I'm going to be expecting the same amount of energy, all right? All right, praise the Lord. Uh, let's turn to First Timothy chapter 1. Hey, give me the countdown at 25. All right, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. <clears throat> now, this is the uh, ESV. We, we used the, one of the literal translations of the Bible. We, we chose the ESV here. And it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare Holding faith in a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Uh, In the NIV version of this passage, it says uh, that you may fight the good fight. That following them, that you may fight the good fight. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys like a good fight? Uh, how about this? How many of you? How many of you guys like to fight? Like you like to, like fight with words. You like to fist fight. You like to fight. You're like you're like, not afraid of confrontation. All right. So it's like me, Krisha, and Janae, and Susan. All right. Now some people they don't mind that. You know, it's it's part of our gifting. Is we, we don't run away from confrontation, we deal with it. Um. When I uh I was born in. Korea, and when I was six years old, I immigrated to the U.S., and when we first immigrated, we didn't have that much money, so we uh, moved into inner-city Philadelphia, into um, a largely an African-American neighborhood. Now, I was six years old, and one of the first things I found out about Philly is that people in Philly, they love a good fight. I mean, they love... A good fight i've been to other cities i've been to new york city i've been to l a and I have not quite found the passion that the people of Philadelphia have for a good fight. One of my first memories of a fist fight that broke out was in first grade <laughs> we're in the cafeteria, which is where we ate lunch and all the lunch was being put away into the trash, and everybody was about to go outside for recess. And I remember as a first grader, all these people were crowded around, two people. They were just crow—they making this big crowd. And I was this little, tiny, little short Korean first grader, and I wanted to see what was going on because everybody was so like passionate about whatever was going on in the middle. So I went over there, and I was like this, and there are all these big black guys all around, so I couldn't see nothing. And I'm trying to get a look, and all of a sudden, the whole crowd starts to shift and move. And this big black dude who was like in seventh grade, he steps on my foot, trips on me, falls on top of me, and then three other black dudes that are like football size, they fall on top of him. And I just remember... All the air getting pushed out of my lungs and reaching out and thinking, This is how I'm gonna die. I think I was thinking this in Korean. And I I I just remember I'm gonna die because I couldn't breathe. And I was there for a good like I don't know, one minute. I was down there. Then finally one of the black dudes. Takes my hand and he just picks me up out of the, uh, out of the bottom of the pile. He's like, you all right, young man? You all right? You all right, little dude? Uh, ah, 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 ah. All right. I mean, Philly people love a good fight. Um, when I was in fifth grade, I, I told you this story. I had my first after school fight. Now, in Philadelphia, um, everybody is like Don King. I mean, if you don't know Don King, he used to be the manager for very famous boxers. Um, everybody in Philly is like a Don King. The moment any kind of confrontation breaks out during recess or in the classroom, all right, there's, there's somebody trying to set up the after-school fight. All right, y'all, you upset at him? All right, you upset? Oh, you hear what he said about your mama? Yo, y'all, y'all need to fight after school. After school, 315, be at the at, at back of the recreation center. All right, people just setting up after-school fights, and in fifth grade, I got into my first after-school fight with a black kid named Cornelius. I, I told you this story, right? You know, I, 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 was, I was in lunch, minding my own business. Cornelius comes. He bumps me, you know, on purpose. And I spill some of my food. And, you know, and, and in, in Philly, this is what people do at lunch. This is how they... This is their form of entertainment. They try to target kids that look kind of wimpy. And then they just, they just, they just bully them around. But, you know... Um, I think just the way God's gifted me, you know, I was gonna disallow that. So, so I stood up. I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I went up to Cornelius and I was like, why'd you do that? And he's like, what you gonna do about it? And then we were like all up in each other's face, like this is his face, this is my face, I'm like this. And we're bumping chests. I don't know if you remember, that's how you, kids used to fight back in the day. And then somebody would do the push and you try to do it together. Anyway, uh, and he just, he, he was a big, tough, he got into a lot of fistfights. So he was like, you know what? After school. Just like this. This is, this is his signature thing. After school. <laughs> and so, I remember, I, remember I, I told you guys this story. There was a, a white guy named Robert Comley. I still remember because he was the only guy that supported me. <clears throat> and I'm thinking maybe like 10 people will show up, 15 people will show up, right? You know, I'm I'm walking to the back of the recreation center, right? And Robert comedy's like, "Yo, I hate Cornelius. Yo, get him, man. Punch him in the mouth. Knock out his teeth, man. You you get him good, right? You gonna get him. You you got that kung fu, right? You know, you're like, like Brucey, uncle, your uncle, right? Yeah, yeah. You mess him up. And I'm like, all right, Robert, calm down. All right, all right. All right. I'm going. And as, I told you the story, right? As I'm turning the corner of the recreation center, there are 100 African American students. <laughs> With a few Indians and white people. And they're like, yeah! <laughs> he showed up! He showed up! He showed up! And everyone starts chanting, USA! 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 <laughs> so I was like, okay. We got to represent my country now, all right. <laughs> and back then I was a Korean citizen, so I guess, I, I don't know. Anyway, um, anyway Cornelius and I, we fought and... I remember we were both so winded. You know, he underestimated me, and I was just going toe to toe with this kid. You know, we're just punching each other in the head. We're... I remember I kicked like I kicked. I did like an upchagi. I was like upchagi, <laughs> and all the black people were like stop. So Kyung, this is this is America. You can't do that here. Anyway, um, we're going toe-to-toe for a good while, right? We're fighting for a while. And I remember I looked at Cornelius, and he was looking at me, and we were both gasping for air. And we were like, okay, let's just call it, let's call it quits. And we wanted to quit. We were fighting for a good, like, six, seven minutes straight. <laughs> you know? We wanted to call it quits. And we were like, all right, all right, you know what? You cool. And Cornelius was like, yeah, you cool. And then the Philly people were like, no, no. Y'all got to keep up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Y'all keep fighting. Fight. And so we had to fight for like another three minutes. And the only reason our fight stopped was because another fight broke out right next to us. (laughs) Anyway, that's Philly for you. People in Philly, they love a good fight. It comes out on the streets. It comes out in our sports. I mean, people in Philly love a good fight. But did you know that heaven loves a good fight as well? I mean, heaven loves to watch a good fight. Now, obviously, heaven will define a good fight a bit differently than the people of Philly. But nevertheless, heaven loves a good fight. Now, when the angels of heaven, they see a good fight, they cheer the saints on. They don't go, uh, fighting is bad. Don't fight. Walk away. They, they, the angels of heaven aren't doing that. They're going, punch him in the mouth. Yo, don't give up. Yo, keep at it. Yo, go toe to toe. Yo, hit him in the... You know, wherever. Gouge his eyes out. Gow the devil in the eyes, you know. The angels of heaven, they love a good fight. And we need to get this in our heads, right? Heaven loves a good fight. And when uh, the apostle Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, right here in the ESV version, it says, uh, to you, Timothy... My child, right? But in the King James Version and in the NIV Version, it actually says my son, which is what a lot of people are familiar with. And uh, for all the religious folks out there that have criticized me and said that it's unbiblical to call somebody your spiritual father or your spiritual daughter or your spiritual son. All right. I want to just point them to 1 Timothy chapter 1. All right. Obviously, uh, Timothy was not Paul's biological child because he had some fling. All right, Paul, Paul was celibate as far as we know. All right, Paul, Paul was a man of self-control. But um, here he, Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says in verse 18, and I'll read it in the NIV for you. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies made once about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. See, the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, my son, myung my daughter, Alan, my son, remember my instructions, remember the prophecies you received, and you fight the good fight. Don't you give up because the economy is doing bad. Don't you give up because you hit an economic hardship. Because a relationship right now is all of a sudden... Going crazy. All right. Fight the good fight. Now, why did Paul have to write Timothy and exhort and encourage him to fight the good fight? Why? You see, it's because for Timothy to see all the purposes and promises of God, to see all these promises being fulfilled over his life, it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. It wasn't going to just be smooth sailing, autopilot into the promises and purposes of God. Paul understood and knew that it was going to require a fight. And the thing is, the same is true over each and every one of us. You know, like today, there could be a guest speaker, a guest minister that comes and starts to prophesy, do personal prophecy over people, and prophesy these amazing things. Like, Diddy, you are going to become famous. And God's going to use you in the media mountain. And you're just going to have all this influence. Right? You can get this amazing prophecy. But the thing we need to get in our heads is for Diddy to see those prophecies fulfilled. It's going to require a fight. It's not just going to be receive prophecy, believe in that day, and it gets fulfilled. I mean, you got to believe it day after day after day You apply for a job, you get rejected. You got to believe that day. You apply for another job, the next week you get rejected again. You got to believe that day as well. You got to believe every time you submit your resume, every time you talk to somebody new, you got to believe and fight the good fight. You see, we have an enemy that works 24-7 to oppose and hinder every revelation we get of God's plans, purposes, purposes. And promises over our lives. The moment that prophecy goes out, the moment that promise goes out into your heart, the enemy is there to oppose it. That's like his job description. And we need to be aware of this. The Bible says, so that we will not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. In the NIV, it says his schemes. The uh, New King James it says devices. Brothers and sisters, we are not to be ignorant. Of the devil's schemes, devices, and designs. Turn to your neighbor tell him that. I will not be ignorant to his schemes. I will not be, will not be, outwitted, by will not be outwitted by Satan. See, Satan is not concerned about you getting that prophetic word. He's not concerned of, about you getting that revelation of God's plans for your life. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about what you're going to do with it after. And he's coming up with a plan, like an intricate, detailed plan to keep you from God's purposes. You know, we need to get this in our heads. Breakthroughs, promotion, fruitfulness, harvest, all of that is often going to be resisted by the enemy. The enemy is going to oppose us to our face because he is a schemer. He devises schemes to oppose and hinder the people of God. And the thing that he always targets to destroy in all of his schemes, you know what he's trying to get at? You know what he's trying to destroy? It's your faith. It's your faith. And I'm not even talking of, I mean, it could could mean saving faith, like the faith that, that brings you into the kingdom of God and gets you born again. I'm just talking about faith. Like faith just to believe God for a revelation you got about your future. A revelation you got about your family getting breakthrough, getting healing, getting forgiveness. You know, that kind of faith. Satan is always out to target and destroy our faith. He can attack your finances. He may attack your family. He may attack your health. But it is always... For one goal and one goal only is to destroy your faith. All these schemes, they have one goal. It's to destroy your faith. If God if, if Satan can get you to stop believing, to stop trusting, to stop standing, see he wants to try to steal your confidence and your joy. And he wants to get you to doubt. He wants you to bring you into that place of doubt. See, when the Bible talks about fight the good fight, the Bible is often talking about a fight over faith. The good fight is a fight over faith. So check out the original passage, right? First Timothy 18 to 19. I'm going to read it in the NIV again. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So obviously, he's talking about prophecies concerning Timothy's future and his calling and his, you know, God's plans for Timothy's life. So that by following them, you may fight the good fight. And check this out. Verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience for some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. So even in the ESV, the word faith appears twice in verse 19. So circle that. Do me a favor. Circle the words faith in this passage. Because that's what the good fight is talking about. The good fight is a fight of faith. Later on in chapter 6 verse 12. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12. Apostle Paul, he actually just spells it out. He says to Timothy, fight the good Fight of the faith. Another letter, he says, I have fought the good fight. You do the same. What is this good fight talking about? He's talking about a fight for faith. The fight of faith. Now, why does the enemy target our faith so much? What is it about faith that the enemy seeks to destroy? Why does the devil make it so hard for us to have faith? Why? I'm going to read to you a quote from Pastor Benjamins, my, my spiritual mentor. He wrote a blog entry. If you guys want to check out his blog entry, go to my Facebook page. I, I put a link on there. Uh, my Facebook page is facebookcom All All right All right, hey, I'm as a shameless plug. You know what I'm saying? I'm putting put up resources there. And that's for me to help y'all. Since all y'all want a personal appointment with me, obviously I can't do that for everybody. So I'm putting out resources so you can grow. All right? And in Pastor Benjamin's blog entry, his most recent blog entry, this is what he wrote. He said, the first thing we must understand about faith is that faith is the only thing that pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that God is not pleased by anything but our faith. You, you, I mean, you could miss uh, uh, three months of quiet time. But if you are continuing to believe God for the things he's spoken over your life, he's still pleased with your heart. Now, don't do that. But I'm just saying he's still pleased with your heart. In in Asian culture, we are so performance oriented. And we think the only way to please God is to be spiritually performing up to par, performing and getting our A's and our spiritual quiet times and stuff. And what I'm, what the Bible tells us, reveals to us, is that faith is that which pleases God. Uh, Pastor Benjamin goes on. He says, we can be sacrificial, sanctimonious, compassionate, and upright, but without faith, God is not pleased with any of it. When God sees his sons and daughters walking in faith, refusing to doubt, refusing to be moved by what they see in the natural, he is truly and fully pleased. Faith pleases God more than sacrifice. And this is an important point for us to understand. We all think that if we pray more, God will be more pleased. But so much of our praying is simply a religious substitute for our poor faith. And God isn't pleased with it at all. You can pray for hours, you can fast for weeks, memorize every scripture in the Bible. But if you aren't believing for what you are praying for and trusting in what you are memorizing, it's all religious nonsense my spiritual father telling it like it is you know the enemy targets to destroy our faith because faith is the only thing that pleases god you can come to you may have come to every prayer meeting that our church had last year every friday fire every sunday swim but if all, if by this year, after one year, you're still trusting your natural senses and you're only trusting what you see in the natural and not believing what God has spoken over you, then all them prayer meetings. It's all nonsense. You're not pleasing God by giving God, hey, God, here is an attendance. Look, I've given you one year of attendance of prayer meetings. God, aren't you impressed? And God's like, well, what are you doing with that? Are you trusting what I've spoken over you? Even in the face of opposition, even in the face of the opposing circumstances coming upon you, the moment you started believing those prophetic words. Are you still trusting me? You know, and God looks for faith. All the QTs and Bible studies in the world don't please God if you are filled with doubt for all the prophecies and promises he's spoken over you. James 1 6 describes that the person who doubts, doubts, sorry, person who doubts is like a wave tossed by the wind. He's unstable in all of his ways. I mean, you ever see a person that's unstable? You know, all you, all you single people here. Let me just, just give you a revelation here. All right. You want to get married quickly? All right. You want to get married quickly? All right, be steadfast. That's what makes you attractive to people. When you're all unstable and you're like all happy one week and you're all crazy sad the next, people, guys are like, whoa. Who is this girl? What's wrong with her? She's so unstable. All right. I mean, nobody wants to go after a person, whether a guy or a girl. Who's unstable in all their ways. Like, you know, they say, oh, I'm going to be a Friday fire. And then they're not, they're not at the prayer meeting. Hey, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm call you this week. And, and, well, actually, that's not a good example. But something like <laughs> anything, anything with... That could be just forgetfulness, you know. And not instability, it's forgiveness. But yeah, instability, man, it's, it's like nobody likes that. When James says that a person who doubts is like a double-minded person person who looks at himself in the mirror, turns around, and forgets what it looks like. <laughs> but That's like some of us sometimes, though. Yeah. God prophesies. He's amazing. Pastor Benjamin comes. He starts to prophesy. Brother Michael comes. He prophesies all these amazing things over you. Yeah. All right? And you know, for me, you know what I do, right? Right? I mean, I didn't have this until recently. But before this, I had a Sony audio recorder. Right? And I remember one time I was talking to Andy over Skype. And Brother Andy was like, Christian, I just feel like the Lord is saying, you are a man who values his prophetic word. You know, actually, I've not met many men of God that value the prophetic word quite like you do, right? And he's right. I, I value prophetic, I weigh it. Right, bad prophetic words, I don't even give it a time of day. But a good one, I'll record it, I'll type it up, and if I get a chance, while that person's prophesying, I'll turn on my iPhone, I'll p- p- record I slide it over. Why? Because I want to remember that prophetic word. And I know that that prophetic word is not just for that day. It's for the future. And when times get tough, I need to hear that word again. I need to encourage myself. I need to fight that good fight. I need to fight that fight to believe that prophetic word. That huge dream. That crazy vision that God just downloaded and prophesied over me. I need to fight to believe it. Because things ain't coming so quickly. Things aren't coming so easily. Real estate prices in Seoul are not going down. Property is hard to come by. So I need to keep fighting to believe. And so I record it. I try to type it up. I try to remember prophetic words that men of God pray over me or speak over me. that's, that's, That's what we need to do. But a lot of us, you know what we do? We hear the prophetic word. Right? I see some of you do this. And this is, you know, we're in a church where we have the, not the luxury, but we have the blessing to have prophetic words being released pretty much every time we meet. I mean, God's raising up a prophetic culture here. Right? We don't believe that God stopped speaking the moment that the Bible was canonized. We believe God still speaks today. Obviously, it's in submission to the Word of God. But we believe God still speaks today to our specific situations. But some of us, you get that prophetic word, and then you turn around and you walk away, all right? And then you say, Pastor Christian, what did he just say? I'm like, that was your prophetic word, not mine. <laughs> Go write it down. Go record it next time. You know? It's like a person looking himself in the mirror and turning around and forgetting about it. That's how we treat prophecy sometimes. That's because the devil The moment you receive the prophetic word, all right, all of a sudden, like Starcraft starts to distract you or something. You're like trying to listen about your future, and all of a sudden these distractions start hitting. That's the enemy. He's trying to destroy your faith with that prophetic word. But so many times we allow him. Throw us around like that. But sometimes I see people, you you know it's so amazing. When I when we when Aaron and I prophesy over somebody, the face it's weird. God has created us in a way where the face cannot lie many times unless you're intentionally doing it. So if you if you have your guard down and you're not intentionally trying to contort your face or something, many times we can tell by the look on your face whether you're receiving it or doubting it. So man, well, I'll prophesy something. Aaron will prophesy something over over some young man or some young lady. And it's like, wow, this is a good prophetic word. And we look at her face and she's not receiving any of it. Doubt makes you an unstable person, unstable in all your ways, double minded, like a person tossed about by the waves of the sea. Pastor Benjamin said it this way The instability that comes from doubt makes us feel powerless, like a wave that is doomed to be driven in whatever direction the wind blows. Doubters feel that they are out of control, that they live life on an emotional roller coaster. They feel powerless and helpless and incapable of moving anything in any direction. They just feel like they're always going from one new thing to another new thing to another new thing to another new thing. thing. That's like a man or woman of doubt. But a man or woman of faith, you could see a single thread weaving through the fabric of their life over the last five, six, seven, ten years. And that Thread is called faith. You know, in, in my humble opinion, I can tell you, if you study my life for the last 10 years, you don't, you will not see a person going from one thing to another thing and not liking it and bouncing out and going over here and then feeling good about it for six months and then being like, oh, I guess I was wrong. I, I doubt the words I got six months ago and then going over here and be like, oh, God's giving me a prophetic word here and then three months later, ah, I don't like some of the people here. Alright, I'm out. Pa, peace. And then you go over here. Some people live their lives like that and that is a picture of a man of doubt. That is a picture of a woman unstable in all her ways. And for people that are walk there, you feel like that describes your spiritual walk, you need to wake up and start fighting the good fight. Start picking up some gloves, start picking up some weapons. Start fighting for your future. Fight for God's plans for your life. Because I say it again. It is not going to just come for a person who is passively living life. It's not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to require a battle before you gain that victory. The devil, he targets our faith. And in fact, when he targets our faith, he seeks to destroy it. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He tries to shift Wreck our faith. Remember earlier Paul talked about some have made shipwreck of their faith. Why do those things kind of happen? It didn't say some men they have just kind of diverted and detoured. Apostle Paul's like, some have shipwrecked their faith. Why? Because I'm telling you when the devil targets your faith, he seeks not to just put you on a detour. He seeks to destroy your faith. Mess you up. So you don't even know who you are before God. You're bouncing around from religion to religion, place to place, aimless, naked. That's what Satan's going for. And we need to understand what is at stake here. And we need to start waking up and fighting the good fight of faith. We need to fight for the faith to believe for the salvation of our family, the revival of our family. We need to fight for the faith for your physical healing. Fight for the faith to believe, to end human trafficking in Cambodia, to see Korea reunified. We got to fight for those kinds of faith that is hard to believe for. Those breakthroughs that don't come quite so easily. We need to fight to believe those things. We cannot allow the devil to just toss us around. We got to fight the good faith, fight the good fight, govern our spirit, Stay in the place of faith and expectation, no matter what circumstances are breaking out around you. If you ever watched Mike Tyson in his prime, prime in his heyday, and when he was like at the peak of his boxing career, I don't know if you guys know Mike Tyson. He's a world championship heavyweight boxer. But Mike Tyson in his heyday, he was like invincible. Like before he went to like jail for rape and all that stuff. Before all that, Mike Tyson was invincible. And um, when God gives us certain words to hold on to, certain hope to hold on to, certain plans to expect Him for, expect God for, when, when God gives us those things, and then while, while we're believing Him, we're walking toward it, and all of a sudden things get tough, all of a sudden the devil attacks us, and we start to quit, you know what that looks like to heaven? That looks like Mike Tyson. In his prime, walking into the boxing ring to fight someone that's not that big, like, sorry, whoever I choose. Martin King. All, right. all, right, all right. Actually, Martin king's actually kind of beefy. He's kind of big. Brian Wee, all right, let's just say Brian Wee. All right, all right, all right, that, that hurts too much, okay. Who, who's willing to... Who's willing to take the fall here? Gloria. What the? Gloria. <laughs> All right, let's say Chris Kim, right? Chris Chris looks like a man of peace. You ever been in a fist fight in your life? Just once. Okay. Did you win or lose? Okay, you lost? Okay, good. That's a good example then. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, to expose your, uh, your boxing record like that. But let's say it's Chris Kim fighting Mike Tyson in his prime. And they go up in there, and Chris has this like three-round strategy. Run around the ring, hit him in the face a couple of times, and survive three rounds. And that's like his strategy. Mike Tyson's strategy is to go in and knock him out. Right? Because that's what he's been doing. He's just knocking people out left and right. Now, it's hard to knock out a grown man, by the way. I mean, with bare knuckles, I mean, it's easier. But with a boxing, with a boxing glove, it's quite hard. You got to hit him pretty hard. You got to hit him right in the chin. It's like Mike Tyson going in against Chris Kim, and Chris is running around the ring, and you're like, yeah, Chris, yeah, Chris, right? But you're in the back of your mind, he's like, Chris going to get killed. <laughs> it's going to be any minute now, any second now. Right? He's running around. Let's say he gets to the second round, and Mike Tyson starts to get winded. He gets to get tired, and he starts to doubt himself. And he starts to think, I can't beat this crane kid. He's too fast. He's too good looking. I can't beat him. And he starts to doubt himself. And he stops punching. And he just starts to go into defense mode. And starts just blocking, leaning against the ropes, getting pummeled by Chris's uh, very light punches. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Mike Tyson tells his, tells his corner to throw in the towel, to quit. And that's how Mike Tyson loses that fight. That's what it looks like to heaven when we refuse to fight the good fight to the end. See, in heaven's eyes, we're invincible. Did you know that? With the gifts that God gives, the power that he gives his people, we're actually unstoppable. Unstoppable. I'm not just talking about five full ministers and pastors. I'm talking about every saint of God is actually unstoppable. You're like Mike Tyson on steroids and steroids more. (laughs) Steroids. You're unstoppable. And the way that the enemy tries to win is he gets you to doubt yourself. So you stop fighting. Look, you're getting tired. You can't, you're not going to see the breakthrough you've been looking for for your ministry. You're not going to get that job. Aren't you getting tired going to job interview after job interview? And every time you go to these job interviews as you're leaving, you hear the devil's voice. (laughs) You're a loser. You're going to be unemployed. You're never going to be able to get a job, right? You hear that voice and it's tiring, it's tiring. It's like, you know, being in the boxing ring and somebody just yelling at you from from the side like a heckler. But the only way that heckler can get to you is if you allow it. Right. Yeah, I'll share really quickly. Um, oh, these are good stories, so I gotta share this, right? When I was in high school, I I, I did varsity wrestling. Oh, thank you, Sinead. Hey, I can go to Philly and I can dig up the pictures. All right, I used to I used to be a varsity wrestler. And uh, at the end of my sophomore year, I went to the individual tournament for my weight class. Back then, I was 112 pounds. Wrestlers, they have to really strip down their weight. So I was like really like, muscular and skinny, though. Skinny and muscular. But I went, and there was this guy named El Tor who used to go to my high school. But because he like he, he flunked out, he, he had to end up going to another school called Overbrook. Now, Overbrook is a dangerous school. They have metal detectors like... In every hallway. (laughs) Every time you go to a new hallway, he has a metal detector. Anyway, he ended up going to Overbrook. And so I remember he was like my Sunday. He was the guy I looked up to because he was an upperclassman. And the thing about El Tor is when I was a freshman and we would do practice, El Tor would always take off his singlet. Right? And he would flex in front of the mirror. (laughs) He's 112 pounds. But I've never seen... 112 pound guy And he's just pure muscle wow. it's a, He's got like an 8-pack He's got huge pectorals He's got these huge like um, uh, Muscles in his thighs I mean, his is, is bicep Like, you know, if he flexes He'll strangle you Like, he's just so big and muscular And so when I went to the individual tournament uh, uh, Two years later At the end of my sophomore year I had to face Eltor. And my coach looked at me and said, Christian, you're a better wrestler. You're better conditioned. You can take this and you'll win first place. Forget about what happened two weeks ago because I lost the match that I should have won two weeks ago. He said, forget about that. All right, just go out there. But you need to wrestle him like you're going to win. You can't just wrestle him. You got to wrestle him like you're going to win, that you can beat him because you can beat him. So My coach said something like that to me. But the thing was, as he was saying it, I doubted it. Because as he was saying it, I saw images from my freshman year of El Tor just flexing in front of the mirror. And everyone going, oh, snap, bro. Man, you're so muscular, bro. You sure you ain't on those steroids? He's like, nah, man, it's all natural, baby. Ah, yeah, yeah. It was so intimidating. I just saw those images as my coaches say, saying, you can do it. You can beat him. You're the better wrestler. And those things were true. I was better conditioned. El was out of shape. So I go in there, and I'm wrestling him. And I go in real strong, and I start getting points on him right away because technically I was the better wrestler by this time. He had a few more secrets than me, but technically I was faster. I was getting points on him. And I remember coaches like, Christian, you're doing good. Christian, you're doing good. You got to keep wrestling like you're going to beat him. And I wrestled him in the second round. Got more, more points. Right. And then in the third round, all those doubts started to sink into my heart. And I saw El In the natural, he was winded. I just have to finish him off. But in my mind, there was this block, you can't beat him. He's your 선배. He's better than you. He's an upper class. He's more muscular. He's better looking. He has dreadlocks. I don't know what dreadlocks do, but I think I heard that too. And I was looking at him, and I'm like, what the? I can't beat him. I can't. I start to doubt, right? And I went in that third period, and he pinned me. And I just remember thinking, you see that? I told you I was right. I can't beat him. I remember later on, El Tor won first place in the tournament. Actually, because that I got defeated there, I faced this other guy for third place. Guy who was a scrub. And by that time, yes, I, I let all those lies touch my identity. I lost that match too. I got fourth place in the tournament. Later on, El Tor, after he received the first place, he came up to me. He's like, yo, bro, Christian, man. Yo, you really deserve this. This is yours. I'm like, no, 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 man. You won first place. What are you talking about? He's like, nah, dude. You had me beat. You had me beat. And I just remember thinking, what are you talking about? You're so much better than me. And El Tor confessed. He's like, you had me beat, son. But then I had the secret move that I got you with. <laughs> Bound to the champion. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what he said, but uh, I remember those words. I remember he, he was telling me that I pretty much had him beat. And I realized that the only block was in my own mind. I didn't finish that match. I didn't fight that fight to the end. And you know what we do? In the beginning of the message, I, told, I gave you a passage. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes because a lot of times we underestimate the enemy or we just straight up ignore him. We need to be aware of his schemes. But you know what we, we do also in the church? We, not only do we underestimate or ignore the devil, sometimes we overestimate the devil yeah. and his abilities and his powers. Yeah. And you know what? That could spell a lot of trouble for us. When we overestimate what he is able to do to us. That's why the word of God is there. All the promises are there. So that you can have a sober and clear picture. Of your position. In Christ. Before the devil. And the Bible says. Right? Christ is the head of the church. We are the body. Of Christ. Right? You all sound familiar? And the Bible says. That the devil God is making the devil a footstool for Christ's feet. That means we're his feet. That means the devil is supposed to be down here. That's why Jesus said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. We need to come in alignment with our true position in heaven's sight. The devil might not be here right now, but you need to keep pointing the devil to where he belongs. You need to keep fighting like you're going to win. Not fighting for the sake of fighting. I'm going to read this last quote and I'm going to close with this. Pastor Benjamin said, the good news is that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And he says, check this out. I want you to catch this. There is no power of opposition that can oppose your faith indefinitely. When he said that, that just spoke to my spirit. Just something rang. Boom. He says, there is no power of opposition that can oppose your faith indefinitely. The enemy and the flesh can and will resist your believing, but that resistance cannot go on forever. The devil cannot fight a long fight. He's like El Tor. He's already winded. This is why the fight for faith is the good fight because it's the good fight because it's a fight that we can win every single time. The only way you lose that fight is if you surrender your faith. There is no other fight worth fighting than the fight to keep believing. And every devil in hell is arrayed against your believing. But you can stand against the devil by continuing to fight the good fight. We all need rest, but you must never allow your faith to have rest. We all need time off, but you must never allow your faith to have time off. We all need a vacation, but make sure your faith never takes a vacation. Your faith must be relentless. Hallelujah. And so for all and every promise and prophecy and plan that God has revealed over your life, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, keep trusting. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep fighting the good fight. Because you are closer to your breakthrough than you were yesterday. Season, let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you so much, God. That not only do you call us to fight the good fight, but you supply us with the grace to keep believing. And on this day, we just ask that you grant us a greater measure of that grace upon our hearts. There's even a spiritual gift called a gift of faith. For those impossible types of dreams, those visions that have all the odds stacked up against us, those visions that require us to do things that we're unqualified for or we think we're unqualified for, I pray right now, God, that you grant us grace to believe. Give those people who have a really, really big dream that they're trusting you for. Give them the gift of faith. Give them your faith, oh God. Give them a measure of faith. Download it into their hearts that, that will cause them to be relentless in pursuing that dream. Be relentless in seeing Korea reunify. Relentless in seeing human trafficking end. Relentless in seeing suicide rates drop in this nation, God. I pray, God, that you grant us the grace. To keep on believing, to keep on trusting, to keep on pleasing you, God. That is our heart's desire in Jesus' name. Amen.